If you would, would you stand now for the reading of God's holy word? Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. You can find uh, the scripture there in your bulletin. God's word says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we approach your word now and we ask that you would have your way with us, that we would know better your word, but most of all, that, um, Lord, that you would you would reach its designs for us, that you would sanctify us, and that you would uh, give us clarity, Father, that you would help most of all us to trust in you, not just to love you, God, but to know your love for us in Jesus. Would you do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this Advent, we're focusing on the imagery of light throughout the Bible, and those images culminate in the story of Christmas, when God of God, light of light, comes into the chaos and Uh, the brokenness of our world to raise our world out of darkness. You'll notice that light does many good things throughout the Bible. Um, Light brings life. Um, Light gives warmth. Light reveals. Light chases away the darkness and the uncertainty. One of the things that, that light does most noticeably is that in the Bible, light leads Light is given to us to lead us in the way we should go. That's perhaps what's most obvious in our passage this morning, that God appears to his people Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in order to lead them into the land of promise. Wondering where you sit this morning, if you've ever been someone who's asked God for direction in your life. Have you ever wanted God to show you the way that you should go? You ever face a difficult decision and and ask God for a sign? Ask Him to give you some sort of divine assurance or confirmation that you are actually going in the right way? Well, there's no shame in it. Um, In fact, our passage this morning will hopefully bring clarity to exactly how God works to lead His people in the way that they should go. I want to make three observations this morning about God's leadership, God's guidance in our lives, and just reflect on each one briefly from our passage. What is it that we can say together corporately about how God leads us? The first thing I want you to notice in Exodus 13 is that God leads his people out of bondage. God leads his people out of bondage. That's where our passage begins in verse 17. You'll notice there with me, Moses writes, when, when Pharaoh let the people go, What's well, a nice way to put it, isn't it? 
Because if you know the story, then you know that Pharaoh did not wake up one morning with a generous spirit and decide out of spontaneous love just to let the Israelites go. Israel had lived under Egyptian authority now for 430 years. Most of those years were in bondage and slavery. And Pharaoh was not willing to simply let his slave labor go because someone asked him nicely. So what does God do? God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cries. And I have come down, he says. I have come down to deliver them out of bondage. That's what God does. Through a series of ten plagues, God shows his own authority over the most powerful man in the world at that time. And in each plague, what God does is he tightens the screws on Pharaoh a little more. Until finally Pharaoh can handle it no more. And he summons Moses and Aaron to him and he says, please get out of here. <laughs> leave. Take your people and leave. But the way that the Bible puts it is he actually says this. He says, go and serve the Lord. He doesn't say go and just go. He says, go and serve the Lord. And what he's saying is that a fundamental change is taking place. You're going from serving me to serving Yahweh instead. But I want you to see this morning, this is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. Fundamental to what it means to be a part of the people of God. The first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before him. That is, no other masters. There should be no other authority, no higher authority in your life than God himself. Go and serve the Lord. The question always comes up, well, why didn't, you know, I don't know. Why can't I just be free from serving anything at all? You know, it seems like that would be the better way, right? And the way that we think about service, service seems so undignified, so, um, so degrading. Can't we just be free to go our own way? And, and, and won't we find in going our own way, ultimately, a fullness of life um, that a servant could never know? Well, we have a test case for that, and that's the Garden of Eden. And if you know how the story goes in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and he says, look, you know, I've got a plan for your life. It's a wonderful plan. If you trust me and you quit serving God, I can make you more powerful, more free. Life will be so, so much better. And then what happens? In Genesis 3, they trust him. They, they free themselves from under the bondage of God and they fall immediately, immediately into bondage. They're enslaved to their own desires. They're enslaved to fear. They are enslaved to shame. They go their own way, unshackled from life under God's authority. And they find slavery and bondage. And throughout the Bible, the Bible says over and over again that life apart from God is not freedom. Life apart from God is bondage. You know, this has not gone unnoticed from some of our own cultural voices, especially our artists. Some of you will know Bob Dylan's song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. The whole song is about, your, you can be all different kinds of person. You can be an heir, you can be a, a preacher, a lying preacher, I think he says. You know, ouch. Um, but whoever you are, you have to serve somebody. David Foster Wallace, one of the, the great writers of the last 25 years, uh, wrote this in um, a commencement address to Kenyan college graduates in 05. Uh, Wallace was an agnostic, um, but this is what, these are his words to young people. Um, emerging from college, going out on their own. Here's what he says. He says, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, everybody worships. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing 
is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll find you'll never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid and you will ever need more power to keep the fear of others at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. What's he saying? He's saying this is so obvious that you don't have to read the Bible to get it. You don't have to be a Christian to get it. You're going to have to serve somebody. Now you're leaving college, as he's telling these guys this, and you may think of yourself as free at last, free at last, but in practice, you will offer yourself to something or somebody, and that thing or person will have a hold over you. It will be your Pharaoh. You will find yourself in Egypt. And so what is it that has the power to lead you out of Egypt? What has the power to lead you in such a way that it won't eat you alive? Well, the Bible says only your creator, that only God himself can break the power of pharaohs in your life. Well, how does that happen? How would it happen that God would break that power, to break the power of pharaohs over me? Well, it's, it's really fairly simple, almost sounds too good to be true, um, in a scary way too. You turn, your, you turn your life over to God. You come to him empty-handed with no qualifications and no conditions. And you receive from him the gift of his lordship and his deliverance in your life. You say something like this, O oh Lord, I do not want to belong to anyone else or anything but you. Lead me. And just like he did for Israel, God will hear your cry and he will begin for you the journey, the journey out of whatever it is that has held you in slavery. That's the first observation about following God, that God intends to lead you to serve him out of bondage to service to other things. Second thing I want you to notice from the passage is, well, I think where the story gets a little more dicey, okay? And it's this, that God leads his people along the hard road into the wilderness. Look at me at verses 17 through 18 once again. Moses says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the, land of the, by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The simple point to notice here is that there was a direct path to Canaan that everyone took, even runaway slaves from Egypt. It was the coastal highway to the north. And if you took that path, it would take at most, even if you're traveling with children, if you know what I mean, right? It would take at most two weeks. But instead, God leads them into the wilderness where the journey takes how long? It takes 40 years. It's like going to Fort Worth by way of China. (laughs) At, At some point, you don't question the direction, you question the wisdom of the leadership itself. And why in the world would God do that? Why would he, the, the one who knows all things, why would, he, why would he take his people into the wilderness along the hard road instead of the more obvious path? Well, first of all, I just want you to notice in the text, we learn that God had a, had a reason for what he was doing. 
I mean, he, he, he did it for a purpose. There was purpose in his directing. And whether the people knew it or not, the, the text says that God was giving them exactly what they needed in the moment they needed it. They weren't ready for another battle. Maybe they thought they were. He said they weren't. And God knew it better than they did. He knew what they needed, and he led them accordingly. Now, I want to play devil's advocate for a moment because we probably know the story, even if you haven't been in church a lot, uh, the story has been made into a popular film, (laughs) right? So just to play devil's advocate, don't they follow God and end up at a dead end? And don't they follow God and end up having to face their captors and the potential of war with Egypt once again like they would have had to do with the Philistines? And just as God parted there the Red Sea, couldn't he have, couldn't he have, in his infinite power, parted the the armies of the Philistines and just let his people walk through? And then what about all the war that takes place afterwards? You know, in the wilderness, there are still a lot of battles to come, aren't there? The Amalekites, the Amorites, the Moabites. And then add to that all the internal strife that Israel herself has to face as she travels through the wilderness, all the complaining, all the rebellions, that really embarrassing episode with the golden calf that no one felt good about at the end, right? Doesn't the burden of a 40-year wilderness journey outweigh the singular obstacle of the Philistines? Uh, Maybe. But perhaps God leading Israel into the wilderness forced them to confront the real enemy that God wanted them to face all along. That enemy was themselves. If you know the story, you know that Israel had to do battle with her own self-love. She had to do battle with her own autonomy, with her her own unbelief. And the, the wilderness perhaps was the place for that to happen for her. And I want to be careful here because the text doesn't say that. I I think it fits God's character. And so I think we can say something else that's even more clear and is unquestionably true, and that is this. God leads Israel along the hard road because that is the best road for them. God leads Israel along the hard road because Israel belongs to him and he loves them. And God refuses to give Israel anything less than his best for them. Oh Lord, why has my life not turned out the way that I dreamed it would? Because you belong to me. And because I love you. And I refuse to give you anything less than my best for you. Listen, I think that's a hard truth that God would lead his people into the wilderness because he he loves us, because there is something in the wilderness that God wants us to see, wants us to possess, wants us to have that we can't get in any other way. And I'll say beyond that, not only is it a hard truth, but the logic itself seems uh, frustratingly circular and irrefutable. There's no way to test it, right? It just depends on faith, right? It just depends on faith. We have to trust God. And that sounds cliche, but I want you to notice for a moment, for a moment to break the cliche, what Israel 
is carrying with them that's a little bit strange on their journey? What are they carrying with them? They are carrying the bones of a dead man. They have in their possession the bones of Joseph. And do you remember Joseph's story? They knew the story well. Joseph's story was the story of a man whom God led into the wilderness. Joseph's story was a man whom God had led along the hard road in order to form him and to shape him and to build him and ultimately to use him as an instrument, a blessing to the entire world. God knew what was best for Joseph. God knew what was best for Israel. And God knows this morning what is best for you. And though you don't carry with you the bones of Joseph this morning, Hebrews 11 says that you actually have much more. You have not just the voice of one man, but you have the whole chorus of witnesses from the entire scope of the Old Testament. And do you know what they have in common, basically? God led them along the hard road. Think about their lives. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about Rachel and Leah. Think about Rahab and Esther and Ruth and Job and Daniel and David. Is anyone, would anyone dare to say that they had it easy? And why did he do so? What does he say over and over again? Because I love you. Because I love you. And friends, still better yet, you have the story of Jesus. The ultimate way for you to penetrate the circular logic of having to trust God. What is the story of Jesus? It is the story of the incarnation. It is the story of God leaving the throne room of heaven himself and coming into your wilderness. It is the story of Jesus himself being led into the desert to be tempted by Satan to do what? To take the shortcut. And him saying no. It is the story of the cross, which is the dead end of all dead ends. And it's the story of the resurrection, which is the the vindication of all vindications. And that story belongs to you. Not in the bones of a dead man, but in, in your baptism this morning. In the remembrance of your own baptism. We just saw a baptism this morning. What does God tell us in our baptisms? He says, you belong to me. You belong to me. I love you, and I will lead you. Not not along the easiest or most direct path, but along the best road to form you and to shape you and to build you according to my love. Like Joseph, like Egypt before you, like Jesus I'm doing the same thing. I've done this before and I'm doing it again in your life. God leads us into the wilderness. He leads us along the hard road because he loves us. Last thing I want you to see this morning just briefly is is, uh, the best thing about the passage (laughs) is that God leads us with the promise to be with us day or night. God leads us with the promise to be with us day or night. Look with me again at verses 21 and 22. Moses writes, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He could have stopped there and the description would have been enough, but notice what he says next. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. What's going on there? Well, uh, What Moses is telling us is that God showed up in the midst of his people and he refused to leave all along the journey, which is remarkable if you know about the journey. It's remarkable that God didn't leave when they were complaining about him. It's remarkable that God didn't leave when they were in rebellion, when they forgot who he was. 
It's remarkable that God stays in their midst throughout their whole journey to be with them as their God. Now fast forward a millennia. You have another 400 year period where God's word has gone silent. Once again, God hears the cries of his people and he breaks through the darkness once again. Though not as a pillar of fire, but as a baby born in the flesh. Here we have the true burning bush, the true pillar of fire, the true Emmanuel, God with us, to stay with us in the midst of our journey all the way in the most personal way possible. You say, Chad, well then where is he? (laughs) Where is my personal pillar of fire this morning? I'll tell you where he is. Jesus is in heaven, still in the flesh, at the right hand on the throne of God, in the control room, as it were, directing the way of his people. And also, the Bible says that Jesus is here with us now, no less, in the power and in the ubiquity of his Holy Spirit in our midst, not just before us, but in us, living among us. Day and night, the Lord did not depart from his people. He gives us what we need most on our journey, and that is himself. Centuries ago, St. Augustine wrote a sermon entitled, On the Pure Love of God. And in the sermon, he imagines God coming to you with a question. He says, suppose God offers you this deal. God says to you, look, I'll give you anything that you want. You can have the whole world. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be a sin, nothing forbidden. You will never die, you will never have pain, you will never have anything that you do not want, and you will always have everything that you do want, except for just one thing. You will never see my face. Would you take the deal? Would you give up the world and all possible worlds just to have God? Then Augustine asked, did a chill arise in your own heart when you heard the words, you will never see my face? And he says that chill is the most precious thing in you because it is the true north to direct you to your true destination, your true purpose, and that is intimate communion with God himself. Better than all possible worlds, better than all possible powers is the promise of having God That's the story that the Bible is telling from Eden to Egypt, from Bethlehem to the New Jerusalem, and all the stops like Dallas, Texas in between. You're here this morning and you read the title and you said, it says, lead us, O Lord. Well, how does that help me personally with God's will for my life? Well, I think it helps a lot. Maybe not in the way that we want help sometimes. But it helps because it says that God's will for you, God's ultimate design for you is for you to find him sufficient in the midst of all of your circumstances. And you say, well, that doesn't really help me with all the either-ors in my life, with all the choices and all the decisions about this way or that way, which relationship to be involved in, which job to take, which investment to make, which school to attend. doesn't help. Oh, but doesn't it? Doesn't it help you this morning to know that no matter the choice, no matter the decision, no matter the circumstance, that because of Jesus Christ, God is with you. 
And that in the midst of all of your decision making, your greatest need has already been answered. The need not for clarity, but the need to know that he is present with you and that he is designing everything according to his love for you. The Apostle Paul says, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including those decisions facing you this morning, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say, well, I need a sign. Give me a sign. Well, here this morning, the words given to the lowly shepherds on Christmas morning. Here's what they heard. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Here is your sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The ultimate sign that God has given you is the festival of Christmas. It is Christ the Lord. It is himself in the midst of your pain and your struggle and your wilderness and the cursedness of your sin to be your Emmanuel, the God who is with you even now by day and by night to lead you out of bondage, to lead you into the wilderness, to shape you according to his love and ultimately to lead you all the way to the land of promise because he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your commitment to us, those sinners, to love us. And we pray, oh God, that you would give us the assurance we need. Certainly, we're reminded that you gave the Israelites just what they needed for the next step, and we pray that that would be enough for us too, God. But, but more than that, more than direction, we pray, Lord, that we would revel in the fact that we have you, and that you are not the means to any other end. You are the end itself. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Give us joy, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.